You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Five, six, seven, eight. Holla, boys and girls, it's the BGN. Coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends. All the way from Hollywood to the PCN. She defends everyone from sleazy men. Won't apologize for spitting Shonda Rhimes. The space that we make is never colonized. We're talking games and movies and actors. Words. Better shake your booties for Black Girl Nerds. Today's episode is brought to you in part by I'm getting into cryptocurrency trading, but I want to learn a little more about it. So I decided to check out edX, and guess what? They have a course in Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, available through one of the many courses they offer online. And the best part is I can choose to audit the class or pursue a verified certificate for it. With edX, you can learn just about anything you want from how to code to learning a foreign language. The breadth of their class selection is honestly mind-boggling. If there's anything you have been wanting to pursue to further your career or knowledge base, and you want to learn from a reputable source, then you have to check out edX. Right now, you can get a 10% discount for signing up on any purchases you make by going to edX.org forward slash nerds. That's edx.org forward slash nerds. Happy learning. Family, faith, secrets. Everything in this world comes full circle. Saving Ruby King by Catherine Adele West is an enthralling story set in the south side of Chicago of a young woman determined to protect her best friend and a deadly secret that threatens to undermine both of their families. Perfect for fans of Britt Bennett, Saving Ruby King is available now in hardcover, ebook, and audiobook. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie, and today's episode is hosted by Ryan. And this is going to be a spectacular episode to listen to because we have not one, but two Emmy-nominated guests. That's right, two Emmy-nominated guests, back-to-back. The first is Tanya Barfield. Our first segment welcomes Tanya, who was nominated for an Emmy for her work on the limited series 
Mrs. America. Barfield wrote episode three of Mrs. America about Shirley Chisholm, the first black congresswoman and the first black woman to run for president of the United States. And she is played by Uzo Aduba. So Barfield is also an acclaimed playwright and WGA award winner for her writing on The Americans. And she's also written on Ray Donovan. Our second segment features Emmy-nominated composer Amanda Jones. Now, Amanda is creating history right now as the first African-American woman nominated in the score category for Apple TV's Home. She is a standout voice amongst a new generation of TV and film composers. Joan has scored Owns anthology series Cherish the Day, BET's 20s, Sujata Day's feature film Definition Please, and also other credits include HBO's A Black Lady Sketch Show, the Adult Swim comedy series Beef House, and the award-winning drama One Angry Black Man, just to name a few of her credits. So we're excited to have both Tanya and Amanda carving their path and creating history in their respective spaces with their Emmy nominations and all the best to them. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this Emmy-nominated episode. Well, (laughs) this Emmy-nominated guests, I should say. One day, maybe. Um, Emmy-nominated guests on the Black Girl Nerds podcast featuring Ryan as our host. Enjoy. Welcome to the Black Gunners Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan, and I want to drop a little quote for you guys to get us started for this episode. Okay, so here it goes. I'm not going to roll over every time the man presses too hard. If I do, he's just going to keep up the pressure and I'm going to keep rolling over. That's my favorite quote, by the way, um, from Miss America. I hope you guys have been checking it out on Hulu um, from the episode entitled Shirley from Shirley Chisholm. By the way, first black woman elected to United States Congress, for those of you, for those listeners who don't know. Um, but I said all that to say, I'm super excited that my guest today is Emmy-nominated writer Tanya Barfield. And it's not every day that you get to talk for the writers on these shows, especially Emmy-nominated writers. So, Tanya, thank you for joining me. Thank you. I am so thrilled to be talking with you, Ryan. It's such a pleasure. I'm a, a big fan of your podcast um, so when I got invited to talk to you, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be the best <laughs> interview of all. Well, you're trying to make me blush right now. You can't see me on the other side, but you try to make me, you try to make me blush. So I get all like, cause I'm already way too excited. Ah, well, <laughs> <good>. <laughs> um, so I have to ask you off the top. Cause like I said, you don't always get, cause you guys are usually so busy behind the scenes and you know, you cannot, obviously there's no actors. There's none of that stuff going on. If you don't have a script something to write from. So um, something to read from, I should say. So what I want to ask you, what was your inspiration? Like, why did you decide and you said, okay, this is my passion. I want to be a writer. What was that for you? You know, that's interesting because I didn't come from a family of people that did um, real artistic or literary pursuits at all. My parents were both civil servants. um, And so I think that they they stressed that you be a a civil person and you try to serve the greater good. And so Mm -hmm. that's sort of how I was raised. But they both were fans of art. My father was a jazz 
in Ficinato. And my mother liked to paint in her spare time just for fun. So they they really believed in following your passion, as it were. But I didn't know that you could be a writer. I started out as a playwright. But before being okay. a playwright, mm-hmm. I sort of fell in love with theater. But I didn't know that there was such a thing as a playwright that doesn't that wasn't a dead white man. I thought all the plays that existed mm. had been already yeah. written by dead white men. So I went into I went to theater school. I went and studied acting and I wasn't very good at that. Um, and I found my way to playwriting through through solo performance in, you know, downtown New York. Um, and then I was lucky enough to figure out, oh, what I really want to do is write a lot of voices. And so I got into playwriting. Man, wow. I just, I mean, it's just amazing, like, to have that inspiration. I'm just thinking about for everybody that wants to break in or thinking about it. And just in your head, you're like, okay, I have these voices. I want to, I just want to talk. I want to write about this. or I want to be able to express that and be able to actually live that through. And for us to talk about some of the works you've got to uh, write for is just amazing to me. Thank you. Yeah, I've I've been lucky. I've been very fortunate um, in in the people that I've been able to work with in my career. Mm. Um, but it really is about sort of staying the course, as it were, because it didn't start out easy. Yeah. So I just kept going, kept persevering, kept at it. And now I'm here. Well, we're glad you're here because that Shirley episode was bomb, but we're going to get to that in a minute. So hold on. Um, But I want to ask you, can you give us like a little sneak peek? Because I love the behind the scenes stuff. What is your process when you're when you're assigned to a show to start writing? Do you get to sit down with the cast? Do you is it just like you directors, producers? You know, we don't get to sit down with the cast for a long time. And sometimes we never get to sit down with the cast nowadays because a lot of shows, you know, streaming, you write all Mm -hmm. the episodes and then they get them in the can and then the writers go away and go on to other jobs and do other things. And then they start filming. In the old days, it used to be happening simultaneously. You know, you'd mm-hmm. be writing and the show would be filming and people would be going back and forth. And that that still happens on some shows. I worked on a show recently um, where that was the case. And so you'd be writing and you're going back and forth to set and stuff like that, working with the actors. But a lot of shows, particularly if they're on a streaming platform, they're less likely to do that. So what we did was we our showrunner and the showrunner is the head writer and the creator mm-hmm. of the show in this case. Her name's Davi Waller. She's dope. And she convened a bunch of diverse people, women, in a room. And we got together and we started talking about story. And she had her pilot written already. She actually had the first two episodes written. And then we just started talking about what we wanted to happen, what we wanted to see. And we dove into the history books because this show has a lot of um, historical people that we wanted to do justice to. Uh and we just discussed and put note cards on the board. And then eventually she divvied it up into you're writing this episode, you're doing that, you're doing that. And then we just went from there. And speaking of um, historical people that you guys are, are writing for, Shirley Chisholm, I'm just thinking, I'm just trying to put together in my head, okay, we have a black writer that's now Emmy nominated 
And we have um, the first black woman to be elected to United Congress, United States Congress that you get to write for. What are your like, I don't even know if you can bottle that up into how you feel, but what are your thoughts on being able to write that episode going in? Like when you found out that was the episode you're going to be, um, I guess it would be the main writer on if I'm using the right terminology. Yeah, I was. The, so once you're the head writer is the the writer for the whole, the, I mean, the the person that creates the show, but then each person gets assigned an episode and then you're the, the writer on that episode. Uh-huh. Um, and sometimes people help you figure out the plot points or whatever, but you're the one that puts the words on the page, the dialogue, the this, the that, and really gets deep into the character work. So uh-huh. I was hoping that I would get to write the Shirley Chisholm episode. I was praying for that. And, mm-hmm. um, but I also knew that it was the third episode and it was the first one after the creator wrote so that I might not get that. Cause I, it, sometimes it goes by seniority. And so I knew I might not get that episode. I also knew it was going to be a hard episode to write because of the, they we were doing the convention, the democratic national mm-hmm. convention. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I finally, you know, I said to Davi, I said, I, I would, if you haven't promised this episode to someone else, I would love to write it. And she said, <laughs> oh my God, I want you to write this episode. <laughs> she said, I feel like you really understand Shirley and you, you know, you have a passion for her. And so, um, so that was that. So I got to, I got to write it. And I have to say that the opportunity to write for Shirley Chisholm's voice and story is truly the proudest, but also the most humbling moment of my career. It's not every day you get to do something like that. And yeah. so it means it means a lot to me. And especially for this time period, you think about the time period we're in and how mm. like the show is so interesting the way it lines up. Um, and just what are your thoughts on right? Just, if you- <laughs> about right you know it's just um you know one of uh shirley uh chisholm's biggest things or what that was pointed out in the show was okay you have certain people that were like well are people going to pay attention to her if we vote for her you know that 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 question that comes up in your mind and the way those moments were so um um were played out so uh well by uzo and just the you know just everything like the wording coming together i did my quote at the beginning did you have like a favorite quote um something you read that really inspired um that kind of tied it all in for you and then now and now thinking about um the era that we're in right now oh absolutely but just since you brought up uzo i have to give a big shout out to uzo and our director ama asante because mm, yeah. it is I have never had the opportunity to work with a black woman actress and one as talented as she is and sublime and able Mm -hmm. to, she captures Shirley's intelligence and her heart and soul and her maverick sensibility. She's got it all there. And so we were very lucky that she signed up, signed on um, to do this. And then Ama she brought so much more than just what a director brings. And to have another black woman, it was like a trifecta, you know, between mm-hmm. yeah, it was, yeah. Ama and me. And, you know, I felt like I'm a really safeguarded, um, my vision for Shirley and her vision 
Um, and she really also had the same reverence for the legacy. But something that was important to me, and certainly I know in conversations with Uzo was important to Uzo, is that we weren't lionizing her to the degree that we're just showing some heroic version of a Black woman that we really wanted to get under the hood and show mm, the, yeah. her vulnerability and um, her fears and um, her foibles and all of that. And so that the, so that what I think was ultimately captured um, by the team was a real three-dimensional depiction and that that to be able to do that in literally like half an episode of television, because the episode is um, shared by Phyllis Schlafly's story, you know, mm-hmm. which is of course the great Kate Blanchett, who was, Amazing. Um, yeah, but to get back to, yeah. yeah, yeah. She's, she's just as a producer and as an actress, it was like, she was working on a whole, she was next level. Um, mm. But, but to get back to your, your question, the thing that um, about a quote from Shirley, what, what really jumped out at me and it took me, I, I almost had to meditate on this is that Mm -hmm. Shirley said she wanted to be a catalyst for change. Mm. And what was so amazing about that is that we had conversations among the writers. Did she, when she, did she think she could win? Because that's a long shot. Like she's shooting the moon here. Absolutely, yeah. Did she think, come on, like literally... Mm-hmm. Um, Shirley Chisholm was born, you know, three years after women got the right to vote. And then not to mention the Voting Rights Act, um, not to mention, you know, Martin Luther King had, was recently assassinated, as were a number of other Black heroes. Like, did she really think that she could win? And I think what makes Shirley, in my mind, so remarkable and so courageous and someone that, you know, one wants to actually emulate is she played to win. She absolutely Mm -hmm. played to win. She wasn't, this was not symbolic. She was in it to win it. But at the same time, when it became clear, because she understood the numbers, she understood how data worked, how statistics worked better than almost anyone. She understood what, how the delegates worked she, when it became clear it wasn't going to happen, she stayed in because she wanted to make a difference for the rest of us because she really was the mm-hmm. people's candidate. And she stayed in so that she could be a catalyst for change and she could move the Democrats to the left, meaning more progressive, more for the people, more for everyone, not just the, the ones that were already at the top. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah, the whole episode, if you guys, by the Hulu, if I have mentioned already, Miss, Miss America, you guys need to check it out. I have two more episodes to go, but I was in it. I was just, I was just sat down. I was just caught up. Um, But yeah, I really, I really enjoyed the um the episode. And just like I said, all these powerhouses of women, like writers, directors that you don't yeah. get to see all the time um, are part of this series. So yeah, it was just, it was amazing. Thank you. It was, we were, we, um, we were really passionate about it. And, and what the other thing that I'm very proud of 
about mm-hmm. this series as a whole, not just my episode, is that we really dive into not just Shirley's story, but a number of Black feminist story. Yeah, you, know, you Glo do. Yeah. Kennedy, mm-hmm. Margaret Sloan, mm-hmm. Audrey Cohen. And we show that, you know, Black women are not just one voice. We may speak in unison. We may be most effective when we speak in unison, but that doesn't mean we're the same. And I was appreciative of the fact that we were able to do that, to really dive into like, you know, Black women, feminists across the board and show a lot of different viewpoints. Um, And also, yeah, yeah, get into like the sort of stuff between white women and black women that. Oh, yeah, that was a good point, too. That was brought up a lot. Yeah, that was done really well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because that stuff goes way back, you know, and obviously, like, we're all women. And so we all face some similar prejudices and, and struggles and discomforts. Um, and it is, you know, when, when women join together on certain issues that face all women, that's really good. But come on, we're all different, too. And we know that. And so we, we were able to talk about intersectionality, um, you know, in the show. And that, I think, was an achievement because I haven't seen that on TV before. Yeah, I have any. And then like when you're mentioning, um, you know, the white women and, and black women that compares to that. I remember um, I'm just trying to think of the character's name right now, but Niecy Nash's character. Yeah. Yeah, um, Flo, Flo Kennedy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and she said, um, "I want to, I want to protest an air conditioner. Why can't we protest an air conditioner?" And I just that moment, just like <laughs> I don't know why that stayed with me, but I just kept thinking about it. Like after, um, you know, seeing all the protests and seeing them interact was just like a good point. Just like you're talking about, like little nuggets, like little details that right. are over, you know, are probably overlooked because it's been so long, or people just probably don't want to recognize it that you guys brought out in the series. Right. Yeah. Flo, Flo was such a wonderful character um, and she did an amazing job. I mean, we couldn't have cast Flo better. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, she did do an amazing job. Yeah. Yeah. She was she was like perfect. But it, it felt like it felt like it was her words. It felt like it was her character, you know, all of it. But one of the things that Flo says, I think in one of the episodes, I think in the next episode is uh, I'm a lifer meaning she's political Mm. for life. And she realized that activism, it isn't something you put on for one year, for two years. It's something that you, some people do it for life and some people don't. But, you know, and we can see that now with some of the issues facing our country because, you know, the Black people have been facing this. The Panthers were founded Mm -hmm. in order to stop police brutality. And now we're still dealing with it all this time later. So so one thing that I think, you know, that that character shows us, Flo Kennedy is the radicals, that she's she's she knows that this is she, she may want to be in the air conditioning now. <laughs> she's yeah. like, well, let me take it inside. Let me take this street yeah, yeah. inside. But she's never gonna stop. And she didn't. Oh, yeah. Yeah, all of these women are just are straight warriors. And it's just amazing to see you guys present it um, the way you did. So, yeah, you guys definitely need to check that out. I want to switch gears just a little bit. Sure. Um, because I have to ask a classic question. Okay, where were you when you found out you were Emmy nominated? 
<laughs> like, where, what was that moment? I just need to know, like, were you eating cereal, watching a show? And you're like working on something else. What was going down? Right, right. Well, you know, we're all in quarantine. So I was in the house and I was oh, like. Oh, yeah, you couldn't have an Emmy party out. Yep, totally, <laughs> totally just get my whole mind there. Yep. Yep. So I was hoping that the show would be nominated, you know, because I really believe in the show. Mm-hmm. And so I was yeah. thinking, should I try to? And then I had heard that you could stream it to see so I was like well maybe I should stream it like in the background while I'm writing you know but like I'm not I couldn't figure out what channel was on what time the whole thing so I was trying to get to the stream to figure out if the show had been nominated and then my phone started blowing up congratulations congratulations and I was like the show must have gotten nominated that's great (laughs) that's great and then uh Someone said, you got nominated. And I was like, what are you? But are you sure? You know, are are you sure? And it was like time slowed way down, you know? And Mm -hmm. I was thinking, all I could think about was like, but I wasn't able to get the streaming to work. Like I couldn't even think about the idea. Like somehow it was almost like because the streaming didn't work, therefore I couldn't have been nominated, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because my brain was like trying to make sense of everything. And then I realized I was like really, really happy. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Yeah. I always like hearing like, you never know, like if your stream is not going to work, how you going to find out about it? You're like, wait, huh? So I like, I I love that. Um, but I want to ask you too. Okay, not only do you have Miss America, um, mm-hmm. you've also worked on the Americans mm. and Ray Donovan. Now I've seen yeah. Americans. That's some intense stuff going on. Yeah. But I, so I want to ask you, what are what's like? What are the challenges in the different genres that you've taken on? Right. Right. Well, I mean, I love, I love working with different people, and I love working on different shows because there's always a place for you to learn and there's always mm-hmm. a place for you to find a new side of yourself in the writing. And so, you know, I have to say I've been blessed. Every show that I've gotten to work on has really um, met something really deep to me. I have to say I had a particular affinity for working on the Americans because before I worked on it, I had been a fan of the show. So I felt like, and I got to write the episode, one of the episodes that Allison Wright you know, the mm. character of Martha was big in and, and I got to put a lot of my heart and soul into that. And that meant a lot to me. And so, but it was early on in my career. Um, and then Ray Donovan was so different, you know, because it's a very masculine show and mm. that's really, you know, sort of the thrust of what the show is about and what, what the motor of the show is, is, you know, men dealing with issues that affect their manhood. But because, um, I'm real. I w- was very close with my dad when he was alive. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was able to put something. You know, I feel comfortable writing, particularly from a black man's voice in a way. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the brothers in Ray Donovan is black, and he's so he's half black and half white, and so am I. So I felt like I was able to put something into that character and contribute to his story. Um, Mm -hmm. And that meant, that meant a lot to me. Um, But the sort of being in different rooms, it's really like learning how do I talk to all these people? How do I get on the same page with people that may have really different beliefs 
than I do, really different viewpoints. And certainly, you know, sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't, sometimes you really have to stretch yourself. Um, but one of the things that I, I particularly loved about Mrs. America is that because we were dealing with this white feminism, black feminism, some of the fault lines between us, um, we really got in it, you know, we just, we just got, we had some conversations and yeah. it wasn't always pretty, but the thing is, is that we were so committed. We were so equally committed to making this show and, and actually having that messy dialogue between us be right. part of the show. Cause we're trying to figure it out. We're still trying to figure out 2016 and what happened in the election, you know? So we were just like getting in it. And um, at one point, I remember one time we were like, at the end of the day, we just all like just sat down in the hallway outside the office because it was a tough Mm -hmm. conversation about race. And then um, Davi said, it's, it would just be easier just to make easy TV, you know? Like where it's not so complicated because now I see why people do that. And then I've thought, Oh, here's where it happens. Here's Mm. where the white person says, thank you very much for your opinion. Thank you. But no, thank you. You can just keep talking, but no one's going to listen, but it didn't happen. Mm. Yeah. She did listen. And she said, after she said, it's really hard. And she said, but I, I don't want to quit. Like, I think we have to keep doing this. And we did. So I, I'm I'm glad. I, I have to say that not every writer's room has been like that. Mm, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. This time period, too, you mentioned, um, uh, you know, quarantine and being at home is opening up a lot of eyes for my opinion in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, because you're sitting here looking. You have to look at it. You know, there's nowhere for you to go. And you're going through credits and you're looking at, you're like, well, I should have had this person in that writer's room. And maybe I should have hired this person for that one. You know, it's just like, it's like right in your face now. And it's going to be, it's very interesting time period we're in. It really is. I don't know what we're going to think when we look back on it, but it is, Mm -hmm. it's real interesting. And I think that, you know, I mean, that the only positive that, that I see in this quarantine is that sometimes families are, you know, we're together more um, Mm -hmm. and we have to work through some, some stuff that maybe we wouldn't have if we had been able to like take breaks from each other. Um, And then I think that the stuff, you know, some of the sort of social issues going on and how the protests and the reaction to George Floyd in terms of it staying in people's minds in a way, I think that maybe if we weren't in quarantine, people would have, you know, moved on a little more quickly. I mean, I'd like to think yes, that they wouldn't yeah. have. Right, right. We don't yeah, know. But you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't know. You're hoping to stay. Yeah, you never know. Yeah. But yeah, this is definitely like an interesting an interesting period we're in. Um, also, speaking of different writers rooms, I have a kind of um, to shift gears a little bit, kind of mm-hmm. an interesting question for you. What have you ever had to use this line? Um, if you had just read the script, if you just stuck to the script, it was in the script. Has any of that ever came up for you as far as like, <laughs> trying to get, or is it just like, you know, cause I'm just thinking, I'm thinking like, you know, you guys may have wrote something. You're like, well, I put it in the script, but somebody right. was like, oh, I have, I have a better ad lib or something. Right. Oh, that happens all the time. 
all the time, you know? And look, I mean, the generous part of me is like actors, they have to say the line. And so, you know, sometimes, sometimes um, they have a, an alt that may work better um, uh-huh. in their mouth and maybe a different actor, it would be something else. But, you know, the, a lot of times like actors, I mean, a real good actor is like, it's a collaboration with them, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. you you want it to work, and sometimes their ad libs are are great, you know. And you want that, and you're like, oh, do that again. And sometimes it's like the camera wasn't even rolling, and they're ad libbing. You're like, you're just listening to them over the cans, and and you hear this little like you know banter going on, and yeah. then you're like, wait, can you say that? Um, and then sometimes you have to redirect them and say, well, let's look at the script and. And mm-hmm. can we try one version where it's the one, the words I wrote? <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine that has to be interesting. I always wondered that. I always wondered if the person, the writers are like, listen, it was in there. If you would have just read it, it would right. be fine. Oh my or like God. how many takes you have to do? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And sometimes, I mean, you know, maybe they don't even get your line ever, you know, or maybe the one mm. time they yeah. get the line, yeah. something went wrong technically. And then, and then it's like, oh, sorry, we can't even put that line in. That happens a lot. A lot of stuff that you you write um, mm-hmm. ends up not, you know, making it into the episode. Particularly um, if you're if you're on a on a you're behind schedule, yeah, you know, or over budget or something like that. Then that you have to make cuts that you might not have made otherwise. Mm-hmm. All right. So my last question to kind of wrap us up, I sure. want to know if you have a show that you want to write for, um, like a dream show you want to write for that you haven't done yet, or a, maybe a favorite script. If you can't think of like something you want to write for, like a favorite script you've already done or favorite show. Oh, that's a, there's so many great shows out there. There's so many shows that I would love to write for, but I think like, um, I just finished a screenplay about Ida B. Wells and Ooh, okay. I'm real, I'm real proud of it. And I hope it mm-hmm. get, I hope it gets out there for people to watch because I think her story and her contributions are so significant and we, mm-hmm. we all stand on her shoulders. So, and I, I'm, you know, and I think that there's a way her, sh- her, her, her life is exciting too. Um, so that's what I want to get out there next. Oh well, I can't wait. I'm waiting for it. So let's let's do that. Ida B. Wells. We're gonna, yeah. we're gonna put it out there and we're gonna put it out there in the universe. Cause I wanna I wanna see that too. I wanna see what goes down with that. That's yeah, cause she does have a remarkable story. Yeah, yeah, she really does. She really does. Well, Tanya, thank you so much. It's been so much fun. Thank you for giving us a peek in the writer's room that we don't get all the time. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I have to like I said, I'm a fan of Black Girl Nerds. So I I'm I'm so glad that you had me on. Well, that means you're gonna come back, right? Like right. we want we want future right projects, we want future details and everything. So you got. I just want to get it before I stop the recording. I just want to make sure. Yeah, you 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 heard <laughs> it. I'll be back. <laughs> well, thank you again. Um, you guys make sure to stay safe out there. Make sure you check out um, Miss America on Hulu, and I will talk to you guys later. Bye. There's lots of great ways to start off your day eating breakfast, meditating, and taking a nice walk outside. And don't we all deserve some time outside these days, especially being cooped up in the house all of the time. 
Well, what's better than making up your bed? And be honest, do you make your bed? Well, making your bed in the morning, it can start a chain of daily successes. So what feels better than making your bed every morning and how about those sheets that go on it? Go with Brooklinen, home of the internet's favorite sheets. So I just ordered Brooklinen sheets for my bed and I cannot wait to bring new life to my bed and really my bedroom and have a completely new space and a new retreat to go to every night. High quality sheets at a low price. Brooklinen was the first direct to consumer bedding company. They work directly with manufacturers and directly with customers. No middlemen, just a great product and service. All luxury products without the luxury markup. And Brooklinen sheets are the perfect place to start making your mornings great. Brooklinen is so confident in their product that all their bedding comes with a lifetime warranty. Get 10% off your first order and free shipping when you use the promo code NERDS at brooklinen.com. That's the promo code NERDS at brooklinen.com. Brooklinen, everything you need to live your most comfortable life. Hey guys, welcome to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan. And you know, our world is consumed today with TVs and movies because we're all social distancing, we're all at home. So it got me thinking, what are some of the elements of TVs and movies that really keep you coming back? I mean, you know, you got the cast, you got the plots, but what about when that hot beat drops during a scene? Or you know how you get those theme songs stuck in your head at the end of the show, the score stuck in your head, that little melody you can't drop? What is the magic behind that? So I'm hoping with this episode, I can bring you a little bit of tips, a little bit of magic, because my guest today is Emmy-nominated composer Amanda Jones. Amanda, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Doing really well. How is, we got to start off with the basic question, because I feel like everybody's always checking in with each other. How are you doing with all the social distancing and being at home and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. I mean, yeah, my husband and I were doing okay. Uh, we just had to move into a new place that had a backyard because outdoor space is a premium. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. So we're doing okay, though, staying busy, which is good. Yeah, yeah, you got to stay busy. That's great. Um, All right, so let's talk about, all right, so becoming a composer, which is amazing. You don't get to hear that every day. How did you get into that? Was this like you were growing up listening to beats and you like, this was a dream of yours? Or how did you, how did you <laughs> spend into this amazing career that you have? Yes, I've always been passionate about music in general. Um, and I didn't know that becoming a film TV, you know, composer was like a viable career option until like much, much mm-hmm. later in life. And so, you know, um, I went to college, studied at Vassar College, music composition, and initially, I just wanted to do, you know, uh, performance music, so playing in my band and touring and writing original music and just doing that whole thing. Um, and it wasn't until 2014, 2015, where I wanted to kind of incorporate something else into my musical practice. And so, you know, living in L.A., you're just surrounded by so many creatives and directors and friends that are working on films. It's really easy to kind of get sucked into the industry. It's just like, it's that ecosystem. It's already there. So, um, yeah. you know, people are always needing music for web series, podcasts, short films. So a lot of short form content in the beginning. 
And then I just kind of continued to pursue it and just keep building. And I was like, you know, I probably should take some refresher courses since I've just been doing the band thing for a little bit. So 2014, 2015, took some like online classes with specific to film scoring and orchestration mm. just to kind of like build on my music education. And then after that, I did an internship with uh, Hans Zimmer and Henry Jackman, um, which is kind oh, of like, wow. this, yeah. Yeah, this is like a very uh, traditional internship that a lot of people who are kind of coming up do. Uh-huh. Um, right after that, I was immediately hired at John Powell Studio. Um, mm-hmm. as like a music production assistant, kind of on call. And at that time, um, he was working on How to Join Your Dragon 2, just mm-hmm. like wrapping up that project. And that was like an amazing experience to kind of be part of that. And I was just kind of helping with like the soundtrack, kind of like helping them export it from like 5.1 mix to like a stereo mix just specifically for the soundtrack. And um, uh, and like mixing. And, and then after that, he went on a, a hiatus and he was working on a passion project, which was like his, it's an oratorio, it's a, called a Prussian Requiem. So it's like this choral piece. And um, mm-hmm. it was, that was an amazing experience. And so after that, I worked with another composer, Michael Levine, who is like such a great friend and mentor still. He's like a television composer. Um, and yeah, I just kind of kept building and building and just like working in as many studios as possible to kind of just like drink in all of that information. And, you know, the more you're kind of in those spaces, the, the more you realize you're like, I can do this, you know, you know, even though there's like nobody that looks like me here in these spaces, um, at least I could see the formula. I could be like, oh gosh, like there is a formula to this as I'm going to like different studios. I'm seeing that there's like everyone has a studio at home, everyone has X, Y, and Z, and there's like a structure to it. And I was like, I can totally do this. Uh, and so that was like kind of like the moment where it like clicked and I was like actively began pursuing it. So like 2014, 2015, right. just kept pushing, pushing, pushing. Um, mm-hmm. And then I met Lena Wayeth at like the NAACP Image Awards in 2018. And, and we're talking other, 20s now, right? Just for all the listeners to give them a little yes, perspective. Yes, exactly. Yes. And so it was before she shot the pilot for 20s. And I met her at this, you know, this luncheon. And I was like, hey, I'm a composer. Like, I would love to work on the next thing you're doing. I'm passionate about, like, I love Master of None. Mm-hmm. Um, I think mm-hmm. she had just done a couple, like, one season of The Chai. And I was like, I was like, I think you're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, and so she was like, yeah, she was like super candid, very warm individual. And she just gave me her email and she like connected me with her agent or her manager. And then I got coffee with him. Like it took like six months <laughs> to actually sit down and have coffee with him. And then after that, it was like, um, it was all very serendipitous. <laughs> yeah. That's, it's, it's cool. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. So I was like, I went through the normal vetting process. They like sent me the script they were like, we're considering other composers. But then like a friend of mine, Sierra Glaude, um, I had worked on her short film and it turns out she was a PA that was working on the pilot of 20. So it was like another person that could like really go to bat for me to be like, hey, I know Amanda Jones. She worked on my project like a year ago. She's an right. amazing composer. So that just kind of goes back to just like, you know, working on as many things as you can and kind of hopefully that all the worlds collide. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> make it work. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so after, and then I got the pilot. I was like, what? That was like such a Hollywood moment. I got this call from the post producer and they were like, hey, we'd love to have you do the pilot. And I was like, ah, and that was like, <laughs> I just put everything down. And I was like, friends, family, don't call me. I'm just 
cranking this out, the music for this pilot. This is like my big shot. And, um, and it worked out and it was great. And then let's see, then there was like some silence because we were waiting for a 20 to get picked up. And then, so I just decided to go to Sundance on a whim and I went there. I didn't have like any projects there and I just went to go network and I met Sujata Day, who's from Insecure. I met Dime Davis, who was a director on Black Lady Sketch Show. And, mm-hmm. you know, Dime Davis was like, oh, that's so awesome. You do the pilot for 20s. Like, we get back to L.A., let's get together. And she was like, I have a new show coming up. It's called Black Lady Sketch Show. I think you'd be perfect for it. And I was like, cool. <laughs> that right, yeah. Um, and so, and yeah, she was a woman of her word. Like, we got together and still went through the similar vetting process. You read the script. They're considering other composers. You just, whenever you have that meeting with the creatives of where you kind of come with your ideas after reading the materials, you just like hope that all your ideas are really great. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's gotta be a crazy moment. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta convince them that you're, you're the one that they should have in charge of the music. You know, it's like a big, it's like you're the head of that department. Um, and so I was like, I have this pilot, I can handle a series. That was my first series. So I did the pilot for 20s, and then my first TV series was a Black Lady Sketch Show. And then right after that, 20s was picked up. So that was like my second TV series. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. And then, so this is like 2019 now. And then in the fall, uh, I got a call from Ava DuVernay's people to be like, Ava wants to meet you for Cherish the Day. And I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> And then, so I met with her. It was the craziest meeting ever. My phone kept ringing and I thought I did a really terrible job, but it all worked out. (laughs) And same thing. I got the script, marked it up, Mm. came strong with some ideas and she was like, I love it. And then, um, but before that I worked on home for Apple TV plus. So there was like, I know was such like a bang up year, like back to back projects. I did like a summer campaign for Nike and this episode of Home, which was incredible. And yeah, I just, it's like three television series and this episode of Home and like commercials. And it was like so much, so, so much work. And a lot of people, or and now people are just seeing it now, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, and that's cool. I mean, I like how you're talking about the networking that fits and everything. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, the networking is a huge component. Um, I think it's a given that you should be great at your craft, whether you're a director, cinematographer, editor, writer, composer. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a big social piece where you got to let the world know that that's what you do. <laughs> right. right. And you have to be part of like the community and ecosystem. So people will like see you out and about and they're like, oh, there's, there's Amanda or like, there's Ryan. Like, you know, so people kind of know you and feel you in that as part of the culture, you know, that's mm-hmm. like building and brewing and um, and they feel comfortable like working with you. I think it's a personality match and like a skill set match is like just you're equally as important. It's just kind of crazy. Yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, it's it's see, I like how I like and I like to share that with people that are interested in that, trying to figure out if they have an interest in music and interest in audio, where they can go yeah. with it. And that, you know, the internships, I mean, sometimes people don't know that's that's the route to go. Like it absolutely helps. And like you said, networking as well. It's yeah. those two skills, you know, something that people don't think about all the time. Yeah, it's easy to, like, lean too hard into one or the other. It's mm-hmm. like there's a lot of people that are, like, very talented, but just ha- they don't go out. They just send emails and nothing happens. And there's a lot of people who are, like, social butterflies, but then they're like, oh, yeah, I'm still writing this album. Or, like, oh, yeah, I'm almost done with my film. Or I'm still writing a script. And then mm-hmm. they're, they're not, like, creating. So it's like there's, like, a 
there's a, like a, a very difficult balance that you have to strike of just being like a very hard, like a lot of creative output, whatever your art form is. And yeah. you need to be a social butterfly. <laughs> yeah, you do. You kind of have to get out. Yeah, because people are not because who's going to campaign harder for your work than you. Right. So yeah. you have to kind of get out there and, and get in people's faces. You know, you can't be scared to like let them. Like, hey, you know, I can take this shot. I can try this. Yes, exactly. It's like so crazy. It's like basically a full 24 hour day of just like working on your craft and then being out. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I can't tell you how many like coffees I've taken, you know, or like brunches or happy hours or mm. events, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, it's like, I'd rather just like be in my pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Wouldn't we all? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, but um, those early years are important for you to just be like in the scene. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I was going to say, too, this hard work pays off because you're talking about here being a lead composer of three television shows, which leads to these these Emmy nominations, which is just, like, insane here. So, so I got to read some of – go ahead, go ahead. What are you no, going to say? It's, it's so – it's mind-blowing because I'm just putting in the work, and I know, like, hundreds of other composers that are doing the same thing that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I'm just, like, so grateful that, you know, the stars aligned because we're all working so hard. You just, like, never know. <laughs> Yeah, you never which, know what's going to happen. Which project yeah. is going to, like, you know, kind of keep keep going, you know, when it comes into, like, the award circuit, you know? Yeah. So we have, okay, you have, like, three different categories here, which is crazy. Okay, so you have Outstanding Music Composition for a Series, Original Dramatic Score for Cherish a Day in 20s. Um, but you also have Outstanding Music Composition for a documentary series or special, and this is episode 105 Maine, which is, yeah. by the way, home on Apple TV Plus, guys, is amazing if you're into home decor, um, like artistic expression. Yeah, it's a architecture, great show. Yeah, yeah so architecture. Beautiful. Yeah, and Maine was so like, I love that you were part of this episode because the episode was so much about taking the simple joys in life is what I got mm-hmm. from it. Yeah. And kind of fit it, you know, making it fit into your life. And so what I want to ask you is how did you when you're when you're figure out that you're gonna be doing the score for this piece for this episode, where do you start? Like what is what are your first uh, thoughts yeah. as far as like background? Yeah, I mean for any project, but specific to home, um, you have just like, you know, really in-depth conversations with the creative. So high in-depth conversations with the Apple TV music team like the creatives of the series and like they were very intentional about like what composer because it was a different composer for every episode so there was kind of like a personality match and like vibe for every episode and so Mm -hmm. for the main episode they they wanted someone that kind of had a songwriter sensibility and kind of came from like a band background I play guitar I sing (laughs) and um they just wanted to have like fun with like the music and the nature of that episode there wasn't like too much dialogue so mm-hmm. it was okay yeah if, yeah. If, yeah it was okay if the music can kind of like take over for certain scenes because there's just like you know there's these epic like panning shots and the cinematography is like out of control and it's just like mm-hmm. it's okay if the music is just right there with it just being as big as possible and um so yeah, so then after that, so they were like, yeah, just lean into your songwriter sensibility for the score. I was like, cool. And then after that, they were like, there's two distinctive settings. There's Maine, where the house is built, but then there's yeah. also Japan, where mm-hmm, he learns mm-hmm. the technique in which, like, the burn board technique, which is, like, how he learns how to, like, create the siding and, and the roofing. Yeah, that was so cool. Yeah, yeah. 
So, um, so that was like a really intentional brief where they were like, we need to make a clear sonic separation between the main setting and Japan, but we want mm-hmm. there to be like a through line. <laughs> right, so right. Like, you got it. And so those were the two. So I did the cold open, which is like the first cue that you hear before the title card. And then I did the Japan, like the first time he, he lands in Japan. I, those are the first two cues that I worked on. That mm-hmm. way we could clearly identify those sonic spaces and then everything else was kind of like a paintbrush like filling in how I would connect those two stories and we hear a reprise of the opening cue like in Japan on the beach when he's like learning the burn board method and um but yeah but the the Japan space is like very angular we have like more synths like the drums are more present and then like the main setting is very gentle we have more acoustic guitars it's like this delicate like beautiful warm space so yeah that's I love I love hearing you describe this by the way it's so cool to get like an inside (laughs) look on you know how you guys are mixing up the instruments and where you put them and by the way you um since you mentioned being in the band is your voice on this because you can tell like if you if you're a nerd like me and you wait to the end of the credits and listen there's some kind of female voice or something in it that you hear. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's vocals throughout, which is really cool because, um, yeah, I was, I had the opportunity to use my voice, which is as a texture, which is really great. And you know, who else does that? Um, Labyrinth does that on Euphoria. And I was like obsessed with Euphoria. <laughs> yeah. I still have to, I'm so behind Amanda. I need to watch that show. I've heard so oh, many great things about Sam. So I've not seen good. it. Oh yeah. The show is amazing, but the music is out of control. Good. Labyrinth is like, awesome uh-huh so um but yeah that's another example of a score that uses like voice as a texture and i think it i feel like it works so nicely it's like it gives it this like really good cool vibe yeah it <laughs> does it really does yeah yeah i don't know there's something about like the human voice where it kind of like it's like soul stirring so mm-hmm. absolutely um, yeah I, I love it i love it so yeah i was happy to be able to and, yeah the other instrumentation was like guitars it's playing guitar bass we have like synths piano, um, drums, um, violinists. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's pretty great. And speaking of which, okay, so you are also want to touch on this fact too, um, because we know we're in a time period now where diversity is definitely taking a front center, mm-hmm. um, you know, because people are having, you can't really, you know, let's be honest, you can't really escape from it in some areas because yeah. <laughs> you're, you know, where we are right now. Right. So really, but um, so because you would be the first African American nominated in this outstanding music composition for um documentary series. Yeah. And I feel like there's a shift. I don't know if it's um, you know, maybe people just wanting to know more behind the scenes. We're getting more into this TV world, but you know, a shift in a new generation of composers. Yeah. How do you feel you fit into that, or what changes are you noticing as you're as you're making your way through your career? Yeah, I feel blessed to be entering at this time because I know a lot of composers who have been like churning their wheels for years, like POC composers that have just not gotten the attention that they deserve. And Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like entering into the game around like that 2017, 2018, 2019 mark, it was huge. Like you have like, you know, Issa Rae, like, first of all, I'm also really blessed to have come up through like the black community really supported me. So you have Lena Wave, right. mm-hmm. you know, um, Robin Thede and Issa Rae and Ava DuVernay were like some of my earliest projects. And, you know, they just let me be me and let me kind of really grow into that role as like a lead composer on a, like a series, you know? 
Yeah. And so, and there's all these other, you know, black women that were like the leads in their department. So I'm just like so grateful to have like come up in those, that space and that environment where it was like, I felt very supported. And I feel like because, you know, from the top down, the content of television is changing and you having more diverse voices doing like sharing their storytelling, you know, um, mm-hmm. the trickle down is real. Like if they're going to hire, you know, POC writers and they're going to hire POC picture editors and POC um, composers. So I'm really grateful to be part of the wave that's kind of happening where, because if you think about it not too long ago, it's kind of crazy. Like insecure feels so natural when we see it on TV, but that was like right. an anomaly yeah, a definitely. years ago. And so, and now there's just more TV shows that are like it. And so I'm just so happy that people like Issa and Shonda rhymes like have kind of paved the way to create content and Ava and create content that just like allows for a more diverse crew. Um, right. And those women are like very committed to having diverse crews. And I think that's, and they're, you know, they're such, you know, leaders and juggernauts in the field. So they're making this incredible example and they're making other productions like look around and being like, Hey, we should probably staff up on more diverse individuals as well. So so it's like the leadership and the people in power in Hollywood is shifting. And I'm really happy to have been part of like kind of like a second wave that's happening where it's like more and more voices are coming up and being supported. So I feel like I've mm. entered at a really beautiful time. And I hope, you know, I know there was like a black renaissance like in the 90s. Yeah. With like yeah. Love Jones and everything Spike mm-hmm, Lee was doing. Mm-hmm. And then it ended, it like closed down that door. Closed. Right. So I just hope we just got to keep this door like wide open and and just, you know, keep pulling people up and just being very collaborative. And I think, I think, you know, I'm hopeful that it'll continue in that way. So um, it feels good to be part of a wave. Um, but, and I'm excited to just do my part. Like when I staff my teams and like, you know, female producers, POC producers, like come to me, they're like, Hey, if you're, I'm, I'm just really happy to be so busy during COVID and like able to bring on teams that are like diverse teams. So it's like the trickle down right. continues. Like, my additional writers are people of all different backgrounds. I have like people from Brazil and people from Virginia, like black people from Virginia. Like I just have people from all over the mm. world, like working with me, just like excellent musicians that have just all different cultures and backgrounds. And I just want to continue just keeping the door like wide open. <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. Suit. Yeah. So, and I think if it just, I don't know when you're such a, well, like leaders like Robin Thede, Ava, Issa, you just mm-hmm. want to emulate that behavior. So I just want right. to be awesome as them and just kind of continue in the same fashion. Like Lena, just like, just delegate and just like bring in fresh voices that are really talented and people of color. And just like, there's just so much talent in the world. It's like, it's not all <laughs> white men. <laughs> it's yeah. Like yeah. And you approve. I mean, to be honest, you approve of that. I mean, you know, it's uh, to be on when, whenever you, um, you know, like you said, there are, there are trailblazers that open the door every day you are another step in that so I think that's really cool um you know to to be able to hear you be able to share your story and to be able to see you Emmy nominated um you know as you talked about teams it's all about that trickle down effect of you know who you can bring up next who you can help who you can aspire that's so important so so important yeah all right so I want to ask you speaking of teams and projects do you have a dream project that you're still you're still waiting on that you that you haven't done yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I've yet to. So I've done like TV series, I've done independent features, I've done tons of ads mm-hmm. and commercials, but I have yet to do a studio feature. 
So I oh, would love, okay. yeah, I would love to do like, you know, some huge, awesome box office, top 200 U.S. theatrical feature film, something like mm-hmm. a Black Swan, like Aronofsky, or like a Marvel film, <laughs> like a really cool. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Marvel or DC Comics film. That's like, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that'd be amazing. Just crank out some massive themes and kind of insert my own vibe into it. Um, and yeah, if there's like a, you know, a comic book character that's like from a really cool background, that would be even better. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you if you have a Marvel DC uh, character you would pick. Not to put you oh, on the spot, but if you have one that you could no, kind of pick. No, there's like, I know there's one coming up with like The Rock pretty soon. Oh, uh, yeah, um, Black, Black Adam. Adam. Yep, that would be a good like one, yeah. That. Yeah, like I feel like it'd be cool to like work with him. <laughs> Hey, I'm I am yes, I'm right on the list. Yeah, I feel like that'd be a cool job. Yeah, but like I think that's probably already like up and running. But something in that vein, um, yeah, just like a really awesome like. Sorry, there's like a helicopter. Uh oh. Um, yeah, I think just any kind of like black um, or like POC like superhero. I feel like that'd be really cool. Yep. Um, I also want to ask you here. Um, let's do. We'll get a little nerdy here. Um, what is like a tool or software that is like a must have for you to go to work? I mean, whether it keeps you organized or. Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch, um, I guess. Yeah, I'm sure there are. Yeah. Yeah, So there's a kind of a list. Um, I mean, logic is my digital workstation, um, digital audio workstation. That's like where I compose. A lot of people use QAs or pro tools, but I am obsessed with logic. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of plugins, uh, I'm obsessed with native instruments. Um, there's machine is, yeah. is a, um, like a DJ producer, kind of like VST within native instruments. And I'm obsessed with a lot of their tones and textures. And mm-hmm. I use that in conjunction with like recording live instruments. So I love just blending kind of like cool, like synth stuff with like live instruments. And, um, yeah. What else? I mean, yeah, I stay super organized with Google Docs. <laughs> That's how right, I kind of right. like delegate things to a team. That way we're all, it's all this live document that's um, being updated and everyone kind of knows what's happening. And yeah, I think that's pretty much it. That's like the biggest, those are the biggest things I probably use every single day. Um, lots well, of that's cool. Pedals. You should have a full list to start Google, to start Googling. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, lots of guitar pedals. Um, I have my Taylor acoustic, got an Epiphone. Yeah, just a lot of just musical gear. <laughs> there you go. So if you guys want to try to get like a studio started, you know, we give you a lot of terms to start Googling of things you can find and shop. I always like to ask that because I just think it's cool. I like it's probably the nerdiness of me, but I think it's oh, cool sure. to kind of give people like some of the stuff that you kind of build with so they get a little ins and outs of that magic that you got to create. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm getting ready to upgrade like my Mac Pro. Um, oh, there you go. Yeah, the one the cool thing about it is like the hard drive bays on the side, so you can just kind of keep putting in just hard drives like SSD drives like in the side, just more instrument oh, library. Oh, see that is that's very helpful. Yeah, and then also yeah, I need to set up like a RAID drive pretty soon. <laughs> I kind of <laughs> need to figure that stuff out too, just so I can have all the stuff at my fingertips. Um, like yeah. Old project session files and stuff like that. And stuff yeah, like we're that. I mean we're at home, so you got to make it as mo- like compact and easy to find as possible. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's all just like you know tweaking and always like upgrading the studio and just fine tuning it and refining it, refining it, refining. It. And you got like a space that's like you know 
great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It sounds it sounds pretty it sounds pretty dope like you gotta work out because that's the hardest part about all of this stuff now. If you don't if you didn't already have a setup, is like getting all that stuff comfortable and set up where you can use it at home. Yeah, that's the thing that takes time. Like getting your studio ready, you know, it's like not going to brunch, like not taking vacations, like mm-hmm. all your money goes to your instruments and upgrading yep. your gear for like mm-hmm. those first couple years because you're trying to compete against like huge composers like you're it's like that yeah, financial right, barrier yeah. in the beginning is huge like you want to sound like your competitor and because in order to do that you have to pay for all this hardware and software so you have to really prioritize like how you're spending to like you know put it into mm-hmm. your craft and your career and that's like a really important thing <laughs> yeah it is it's definitely important yeah yeah absolutely all right so as we wrap up here, I have to ask you, do you have a favorite artist, favorite song that's like your go-to on like a rough day? Like what it, what what can we get people that add to their COVID-19 playlist oh of my staying God. at home? <laughs> <laughs> Let me think about that for a second. Um, yep, yep. Think about I it. Think about like it. I definitely put you on the spot like, with that one. Yeah, the one that like soothes my soul is anything from The Temptations, probably like My Girl. Oh, yeah, but then, that's a good I'm one. I'm also kind of obsessed with Sophie Tucker. <laughs> okay okay yeah so it's kind of runs the gambit between just like you know good vibe (laughs) yeah hey you gotta have a mixture I know exactly uh Deer Hoof is really amazing that's another band that I really love um Mm -hmm. and also Tinari when they're like I think they're from Mali this band from Mali and um they're they're very soothing and it's like they're these like the soulful guitars and they're speaking in their native language and it's like it's the most beautiful music I've ever heard. Yeah, hey, hey, I'm all for good, the good soothing Mali beat. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, beat. them and Modu Mokhtar are really amazing. They're very, they're kind of like part of the, a similar scene. Um, but yeah, just kind of like you just kind of like guitar-driven music, like the Temptations mm-hmm. and like old Motown that my dad like played when I was really young is like how I fell in love with the guitar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You Maybe can never staples, go wrong with Motown. Pop staples, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. Yeah, I like it. Yep. So what, do you have anything that you can tease for us? I know everybody's kind of yes. like, we're kind of making our way through the projects or what's coming out. So yes, yeah, give us some I cool teases. I just on a project called Love in the Time of Corona. It's a, a mini series oh. from Freeform and uh-huh. it's coming out on Freeform and Hulu this weekend, tomorrow. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Okay, so, cool. Nice. There you go, guys. More to add to your list to watch. Exactly. Yeah. I'm excited for it. So I think people are going to love it. It's very timely and relevant. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yep. Uh, Well, Amanda, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Really. Yeah. It's beautiful. And you. Yeah, thank you. And you guys stay safe. Uh, check out. Um, we got home because Amanda's just super busy. She is. She is everywhere (laughs) right now. Um, 20s. If you haven't caught up on it, uh, Cherish the Day is on OWN, a black lady sketch show. Um, so yeah yeah Yeah. so yeah HBO so yeah you guys check it all out she got a lot of projects for you guys to watch and add to your watch list you know that's (laughs) what we're doing that's what we're doing these days and you guys stay safe and I will talk to you soon bye everybody bye take care the Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax the opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find various episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Audio Boom, Google Play Music, and Spotify.